Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Take a look on page 10 at the Gospel reading, and you'll notice it's broken down into three sections. Verses 20 and 21 deal with the family of Jesus, and verses 31 through 35 also deal with the family of Jesus. And then there's the middle section, which doesn't seem to relate at all to the first or the third. But in fact, it it really does. I've broken it down into three sections because this is what Mark does throughout his gospel. You know, last week we talked about the gospel of John, and it's characterized by these dialogues, one-on-one conversations between Jesus and someone else. That's characteristic of John. Well, nine times throughout Mark's gospel, Mark creates what we've come to call Markan sandwiches, okay? Where he takes an incident and splits it apart and inserts something else in the middle. So it's like you've got the top part of the bun, that would be verses 20 and 21. You've got the bottom part of the bun, that's 31 through 35, and then you've got the meat in the middle. And it's that middle part that really informs the first part and the third part. So that's a Markin sandwich, and it occurs throughout the gospel. He'll, he'll take an incident, split it apart, and put something else in between, and he's trying to teach you something about what he split apart. Now we'll get to that shortly. Roman numeral one on page 11. Jesus faces family opposition. Family opposition. Look at verse 20. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, to restrain him. I I used to work in a mental hospital, and... uh, we never used physical restraints. That's old-fashioned. This was back in the 70s. And, but physical restraints were passe. They used drugs, okay? Thorazine. They'd shoot you full of Thorazine, and, and you would be like, you weren't going to cause any trouble, okay? I mean, I didn't inject them with Thorazine. The doctors would do that, or nurses would do that. So the family wants to restrain him. They were saying he's out of his mind. He's not taking time to eat. He's not caring for himself. He's he's too self-forgetful. Remember what Jesus said in John 4. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, going to the cross. He's single-mindedly focused on that, and because he's single-mindedly focused on the will of God, his own family thinks he's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's not rational. This, by the way, is not mentioned in Matthew. It's not mentioned in Luke. The the same incident, the family coming to try to take him away or to exert some influence over him, neither Matthew nor Luke say that 
the family says he's out of his mind. It's too embarrassing a detail, but, but Mark includes that, okay? And, and you may recall from John 7, his, John makes very clear, his brothers did not believe in him at first. Later they would, but now they don't. So Roman numeral 2, <clears throat> page 11, Jesus also faces official opposition. There's family opposition, and there's official or government opposition. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, now these are the religious experts. They were saying he's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. So they're trying to label him as a deviant, okay? And if they can make that label stick, his ministry is kind of over. And so Jesus responds, okay? He called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Okay, I mean, it's just logical, right? And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. It's just logic, common sense. Then verse 27, another argument, another parable. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. So who's the strong man? It's the devil. What's his house? It's the world. And who's the one plundering? It's Jesus. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the devil is bound, and people are delivered from darkness into light, from error into truth. And then he goes on to say, verse 28, and this is the passage that I think really scares people. By the way, if, if you think you've committed this sin against the Holy Spirit, you probably haven't. You know, that's the common explanation. It's true. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, there's the gospel. Hold on to that. Okay? Keep that in mind. But, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then people want to know, well, what is that sin? Well, he tells you. Verse 30, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. It is to call the work of the Holy Spirit, which is self-evidently from God. The Spirit is at work doing things only God can do, and then against all the good evidence, you, you make a judgment to the contrary. No, that's the devil. That's the sin against the Holy Spirit. And the reason why it earns a lack of forgiveness or you remain in your unforgiven state is that it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we come to faith. As Luther correctly wrote, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. 
The Spirit brings us to faith, but He can be resisted when He comes to us through words, through people, through a written text, through a spoken sermon. We can resist those things. That is resisting the Holy Spirit. That is impenitence. And as long as one remains in that condition, one remains unforgiven. So Roman numeral 2, part A, number 3, those who condemn him condemn themselves. So what about the sandwich? We mentioned that earlier. What does this sandwich teach us? Letter B, any attempt to, to divert Jesus from doing God's will is, and that line really ought to be longer, that's my mistake. Any attempt to divert Jesus from doing God's will is the same as confusing Jesus with Satan. It's the same as confusing Jesus with Satan. Even if it is his family doing it. It's confusing Jesus with Satan any attempt to divert him from God's will. What his family is doing is as bad as what the scribes are doing. That's what Mark is telling you. What his family is doing is as bad as calling him the devil. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when Jesus announced he would be going to the cross? What did Peter say? This will never happen to you. No, don't talk that way. And Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. See, any attempt to divert him from the will of God is the same as doing the devil. It is doing the devil's work. His family then opposes him as much as the scribes do, but for different reasons. And here's my point. If even the holy family is that messed up regarding God's will? Can you see why Jesus finds it necessary to create a new family? A new family. A family that more closely reflects the will of God. A family that understands the way of the cross. That understands that suffering must precede glory in this fallen world. That's the family he's forming, a family that can grasp and understand that seminal truth of the cross. So Roman numeral three, who is your true family? Who is your true family? Letter A, doing God's will sometimes involves the, the incomprehension, the incomprehension and even hostility of one's own family. Sometimes it involves that. Incomprehension and hostility. Jesus said in Matthew 10, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Psalm 69, the psalmist wrote these words, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. Letter B, Jesus is your true eternal family. Jesus and all doing God's will. Jesus and all follow the way of the cross. 
are your true eternal family. Now, I want to make very clear, Jesus is not against family. Family is God's idea after all, right? But sometimes family is against Jesus. That's my point. That's my point. And, and here's, here's the problem. This is the reality. Family has a claim on you. They know you. They have expectations of you. They feel as if they have first dibs on you. Your time, your energy, your money, everything. And quite often it's true. But God also has a claim on you. He also does have his claim. Jesus' family felt they had a claim on Jesus. They felt they had priority with him because they were his kin. And if Jesus had caved to their way of thinking, he would never have gone to the cross. They would not have permitted it. They would have stood in his way as Peter tried to stand in his way. Jesus' family did not understand him. But Jesus did not cave to their demands. Jesus put God above family so much so that he went to the cross for his family and for all the families of the earth. And it is that redemptive work that eventually won his family to the faith. His family did not understand what he was about until much later, until after his death and resurrection. Only later did they believe. But they believed because he remained committed to doing the will of God despite their objections. Now God desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants your earthly family to be part of his eternal family. And God will bring that about by your remaining faithful to Jesus, whatever that involves. Every situation is different. You know better than I what faithfulness looks like in your situation. But I'll tell you this, to be faithful to the Lord will involve spending some time away from your family. Family may not like that. To be faithful to the Lord means that you will not always be able to affirm your loved ones in whatever they choose to do. They may not like that. Now, you're not hating them when you lovingly disagree any more than Luther was hating his superiors when he stood before them and said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That's what love sounds like in a difficult setting. It sounds like that. That's what love sounds like when spiritual division raises its head in your household. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That's what love sounds like. It's standing with Jesus 
even when it's hard. My friends, what your loved ones need from you most of all is for you to remain faithful to Christ and to his word, even when they do not understand why. Because one day, by the grace of God, they will understand. One day they will understand partly because of your faithfulness today. God grant all of us such faithfulness, and God give our loved ones such saving faith. In Jesus' name, amen.